Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Big Chill Podcast. You're listening to episode 10, The Nacho Situation. Good evening, boys. Let's uh, get right into it for today, and I guess start with the big news story, uh, not even just sports story of the day, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks boycotting their playoff game last night in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake. And that kind of resulted in all of the rest of the NBA games being postponed, WNBA games being postponed, Major League Baseball games being postponed, uh, Osaka dropped out of the tennis tournament, and now even hockey today has postponed their games. Um, so let's kind of get right into it. I guess just discuss what you know we kind of want to get off our chests and see what everyone has to say. So let's start with Eddie. Yeah, uh, it's been an interesting one. Um, in many ways, I guess I, I got, I'll start off by just saying, obviously kind of appalled by, you know, when you watch the videos of the Blake shooting and all the other shootings that have happened in recent weeks and months and years, like the more and more you see of them and the clearer the footage is, it's just awful. And so there's, you know, that's kind of the starting point in the sense that you can understand the reaction from everyone in Wisconsin and in the community and everyone in the U S and all of the players, I a hundred percent understand why you know, they are so appalled and so desperate to see change. At the same time, I give the players a lot of credit because people have been critical for them of them for just wearing T-shirts and not really doing anything and, or, you know, like take, just taking a knee. And I don't mean that in the sense that I've been one of those people, but just in a way of saying, right, this is good. You're, you're making your kind of public stance, but you're not really doing anything about it. And the Bucks players and then all the subsequent players, you know, on other teams and in other sports deserve credit for the fact that they've actually put their their livelihoods on the line in a sense to make a political statement. I mean, the Bucks, based on everything that's come out, they, they made this decision without speaking to anyone. So there was every chance that the NBA could have turned around and kicked them out of the playoffs. They could have just said, well, you forfeited, uh, you forfeited this game. And if you forfeit a game in the playoffs, you're out of the playoffs. So you're gone. You know, there was every, there was a possibility that that could have happened. So they deserve credit for that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I really respect what they did. I thought, you know, I thought it was very strong statement for them to kind of make the decision without even bothering to check and see, you know, what the repercussions would be. You know, I give them a lot of credit and a lot of respect for that. And I think you can clearly see that it was well-respected, you know, amongst the U.S. where as soon as that happened, you, you got all the other leagues like the MLB, some of the teams chose to to protest their game and not play. Um, Osaka had dropped out, but now apparently she's back in the tournament. Um, but, you know, she had kind of done a similar thing. And, you know, even to see a league like the NHL, which I think initially last night and this morning, they were kind of just going to pull a, a moment of silence or respect or something on the, the big screen. They kind of came together and said, you know, let's also postpone our games. I think it just speaks to how strong of a statement that was and that it, you know, what they were trying to do at least succeeded so far in bringing attention to the situation and having other people kind of make a response and other leagues make a response. So in that, in that regard, it, you know, it definitely brought it to the center of attention. I mean, I turned on the TV this morning and everyone was talking about it, you know, whether it was ESPN or Fox sports or just, you know, NBC, uh, CBS, everyone was talking about it. So. Yeah. It's been all over the news here. It's been a leading story abroad. Um, 
So in that sense, it's definitely, if the goal is to start a conversation and bring attention to things as a first step towards real change, then in the very least, you had to say it was successful in that respect. And the thing is as well with it is that this hasn't come out of nowhere. Like this has been constant for a long period of time. They've, a, a lot of uh, superstars within all the American sports have been screaming for this kind of social change from a grassroots level right up to kind of changing the perceptions within like governmental organizations and the police. And I, I, I can't remember who put it on the Twitter, but a, a lot of people within the NBA were saying that, you know, we've, we've asked for this change. We plead for this change. You know, people have died for this change. People have protested, had their lives upheaval for this change. And then here it is happening again. So it's kind of like, well, you've heard our cries, you've heard our pleas and the focus today isn't going to be on basketball. It's not going to. So I, I think the knock on effect is kind of fantastic in a way. It's great to see people kind of unifying behind what was Milwaukee's kind of first move. And um, yeah, it's just shame and pretty much a tragedy why it has to come to the point where sports teams do have to walk out like this. It's also just such a weird representation of the situation in the United States in 2020. Because you have this weird juxtaposition of millionaire athletes living in, on a, in a Disneyland resort who are at the same time protesting, you know, awful social injustice. And you're kind of getting to see maybe the image of America on one hand and the reality on the other. And that's, that's kind of a weird uh, combination to try and process. And I mean, look, it's a shame that athletes have been put in a situation where in a way that they, I mean, there's a, obviously there's been criticisms leveled on them in the past that it's not their place. They need to shut up and dribble or shut up and play. But the reality is that no one else is really doing anything, uh, you know, sort of substantive. And so it's got to the point where we're relying on athletes or celebrities to actually make uh, sort of so statements on social injustice. And to me, that's the most damning indictment of, of the situation that, you know, the U.S. and the world overall in, in a lot of different ways is, is in. Yeah. And I think especially given the circumstances we're in, it makes it even I think a more dramatic statement because right now, I mean, I, I can attest to this. I mean, one of the main things I have to look forward to right now is going home and knowing that sports is on TV. Right. I mean, I've watched more hockey playoffs this year than I probably did in the past three years combined. And I watched a decent amount of hockey playoffs the last three years, but it's now I'm watching like every game, you know, I'm I mean, even not, watching NBA games, you know, still so. not helping your picks, but. No. And we can get into that a little later, <laughs> of course, but <laughs> yeah, we can, um, you, you know, I mean, a lot of people, this is like the one outlet they have right now. You know, they can't go out, they can't do things. They can't see a lot of their friends, but at least sports are on. Right. You know, that's, and, and so that gives them even more of a platform to, you know, have this and say, you know, like everyone needs to stop what they're doing, you know, not just think everything's okay and put on your sports, but, you know, take a moment and like open your eyes, see what's going on. And I think, I think, I think it's definitely works so far. Um, and the interesting part is, a, a lot of criticism, I think, would come from people saying, oh, well, you know what? They have guaranteed contracts. What does it matter if they miss the game? It doesn't matter. But most of them were ready to just forfeit the season. And if they forfeit the season, then they're losing salary. They're losing a proportion. And they're potentially affecting their salaries in the next few years because that would cripple the NBA. I mean, you would lose a ton of money if they just stopped the playoffs. So, I mean, the fact that they were that willing to go that far. And I think as of now, they've voted to resume the playoffs um, but that could always change. But there were teams in that vote that voted to not resume the playoffs. 
Um, so, you know, they were ready to go that step and, and sacrifice their money and their lifestyles, you know, for, for getting the message out there. And I, I think that, you know, you can't discredit them or, or knock them for that. Yeah. I mean, the only criticism I have of it, and it's not a criticism of this specific action, it's just in the context of what happened basically a year ago now, almost, which was when Daryl Morey, the GM of the Rockets, came out and spoke out against the uh, Chinese government's actions in Hong Kong and in support of the anti-government protests in Hong Kong. And the NBA punished him and a number of high profile executives and players, including LeBron James came out and were critical of him, basically telling him to shut up and do his job and that he was misinformed and didn't know enough about the situation to comment and that it wasn't his place to comment. My only criticism of them is, you can't have it both ways in the sense that, you know, I'm all in favor of them making political statements and protesting. And I think this is a, a total act for good, but they can't just pick and choose when it, you know, and, and also I understand the fact that a certain cause is going to speak to you more than other causes. And in this case, it's a cause that really touches, you know, where people are from. It's, you know, they're virtually all Americans. So these are, you know, communities in which they will have grown up. So it's different to then picturing the situation in Hong Kong, but, there needs to be some consistency there in the sense that you can't just, you're afraid of losing Chinese dollars. So you're, you're not going to, you're not going to say anything about that. But in this instance, you think it's right. It is your kind of responsibility to speak up. That would be my only slight criticism of them. Did the guy have any like connections with the kind of Hong Kong situation? Was there any sort of like personal connections or anything? Not like really. That? I mean, I guess at a, at most, you could say that the Rockets have had one of the most high, well, the most high profile Chinese player ever in the NBA. So have quite close ties to China. So, and Daryl Morey is also a very intelligent person. He came into the sport in this kind of unusual way of, um, I think he's, he, you know, he's like a maths wizard. I think he went to Harvard or something and did, and then kind of went from investment banking or something like that into the, the baseball and then into um, NBA uh executive role sort of front office role but i think he doesn't have a way it's not like he can say oh i have relatives from hong kong or i lived in hong kong so this is a this is an issue that is close to my heart but he saw injustice somewhere in the world and felt that he wanted to use his platform to speak about it whether you think he's right or wrong in what his opinion is to tell him to look this isn't your role you are a gm of a baseball team shut up and do your job you know, they, those players will be incredibly offended if, and I'm sure, look, there's reactions going on all around the U.S. and elsewhere of people telling them to shut up and do your job, that they don't want to hear from millionaire players who, like, <laughs> never graduated from college, telling them, you know, why everything that's wrong with society and how we can fix it. And there just has to be some consistency there. That's my only takeaway from it. And I don't mean that in the sense of, well, because they were critical of Daryl Morey, they shouldn't have done this. That's not my point. It's just I hope that the next time a Daryl Morey-like situation comes around that they can think, even if this issue isn't personal to me, and even if I don't want to comment, this person should be allowed to do so. I guess one of the stories that kind of gets pushed into the back burner with all of this that was going on was the report from the Washington Redskins, which is also a not-so-great look and situation for a sports you mean team. The, I don't know if you guys you mean saw the, that. Watch, the Washington football team. Uh, the Washington peeping Toms, actually, maybe is a more accurate term. <laughs> um, so I don't know if Sam knows this or for those who don't, um, there's a report that just came out 
that about 10 years ago, there was a video created during a cheerleading photo shoot where you can obviously understand during a photo shoot, there's going to be a lot of changing going on. And there's always the unwritten rules with photography that, you know, people are going to be naked. Don't, don't take pictures, don't distribute those pictures, but supposedly, and now this is where it gets tricky is that Dan Snyder, who is the owner of the Washington football team says that he has no knowledge of this and didn't even know the video existed, but supposedly he was the one who requested or received a video that was made by executives of the team of basically them filming during the changes and the, the, the bikini slips and things like that. And they put together a video and gave it to him for him. And now he's denying all this. And it's just, this is the Washington football team is, on a very, very downward spiral, spiral right now. So that was, and I think they might actually be lucky right now because this is kind of pushed to the side where this would be a huge, a huge story had it not been for the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh yeah, they're definitely doing a good job. If they did decide when they were gonna release this, if they had some control of it, they're doing a good job of burying it in a news cycle. I mean, the difficult part about it, and I'm not doubting it in any way, but. Dan Snyder's reputation is so bad that I think you could almost say anything about him and I would, I would kind of slightly believe it. I would have to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. And so this story as pathetic as the whole sort of, I mean, not to downplay this kind of how hurtful or damaging it would be or, you know, upsetting to the people involved, but it's just pathetic. And you have to wonder, you know, why would you want to see it in the first place? That I don't get. That's the mind blowing aspect of it. How exciting would it be to see a bunch of cheerleaders changing? I mean, especially when you're a billionaire, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, Eddie, what's, what's the benefit of going to a low end massage parlor to get happy endings on videotape and then not getting the tape released? Maybe it's well, an NFL owner thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a requirement. Maybe, maybe that's why they rejected Trump all those years ago when he tried to buy the bills. They were like, no, 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 no. Your sexual misconduct is not on is it high enough. It's not on a level. And he was like, oh, I'll, I'll show you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to up it. <laughs> you guys are going to regret this. This one, I'm the best that never was. <laughs> what, I, what, I found weird about that, what I found weird about that, though, Frank, was the way you directed it at Eddie. I was almost believing that this was specific to Eddie. So Eddie had actually been to like a low-end massage parlor. Yeah, no. I mean, here's the difference, too, is Dan Schneider, whatever he's doing, filming cheerleaders, doesn't help the Washington football team win. Whereas every time... Um, Every time the Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft goes off to get a hand job in a in a weird massage parlor, the Patriots win the Super Bowl. So if that's <laughs> the price of winning a Super Bowl, Robert Kraft needs to go. It's cause and effect. It's cause and effect. Yeah. He needs to keep going. He's going to be raw by the time he dies, but it's worth it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was, I guess, one of the other big news stories um, right out of there. It's so funny guess, that that one has not permeated kind of like European news at all. Like I, I hadn't heard that news. I hadn't seen anything well, to do with that news. The Washington I, I think football team one. I think it's what Eddie said. It, it's been buried. You know, it kind of just came out last night or the night before, you know, so it's definitely been buried in, in a lot of other more important news. It's also in this weird 
thing where the Redskins, well, sorry, the Washington football team, um, over the past few months, they've been hinting at the fact that serious allegations about different things were going to come out. Like there was one accusation that they had been flying girls in sort of sex trafficking for the purpose of, I think they were flying girls to Costa Rica. I think that was the story um, for sort of parties that were going on with scouts and executives or something, some other like mini Epstein kind of scenario. Because everyone knows all the talent in the NFL comes out of Costa Rica. Little little known fact, Tom Brady, born and raised Costa Rica. Well, you you do know that Tom Brady has a house in Costa Rica where he spends the off season. That's a fact. (laughs) Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that is a great random random Tom Brady spends every off season in Costa Rica. Have you been? I've been, yeah. I was actually one of the trafficked girls. (laughs) This is, uh, it's a little bit upsetting, but I mean, I guess I'll use this podcast as a way to tell my story, but yeah. I just, 15 years ago, life was very different for me. He has a house in Costa Rica? That seems strange to me because isn't, isn't Giselle Brazilian? She's Brazilian, right? yeah. But yeah, then, he's, allowed he Brazil, he's allowed to own houses he goes, elsewhere. <laughs> like it can't be Brazil well, or maybe America. he has multiple. But I think if, if you're going to have a Central South American house, wouldn't it Brazil with her family make more sense? Well, I guess there would maybe be two reasons. Maybe three reasons not for that. One, every time he goes to Brazil, an embarrassing video comes out of him of like of him jiggling at Carnival. So he probably doesn't <laughs> want that happening anymore. Two, Brazil's not very safe at the moment. So I'm not sure if Tom Brady wants to go and spend his downtime and end up getting shot. And three, I would Hulk, guess... The wait, wait, wait. It's not like as if Costa Rica is the most protected and pristine country in the world. Oh, it doesn't have Brazil, an army. Brazil is much more dangerous than Costa Rica. I'll raise your hand if you've been to Brazil. R.I.P. R.I.P. to the person who was supposed to be the fourth co-host on this uh, show, but uh, fortunately, he made a trip to Costa to Brazil a few yeah. months ago, and he never came back. If only he had gone to Costa Rica, in fairness. I tried to convince him, but he wouldn't. He said, "Frank says Brazil is safe. He says it's good to go. He went during the Olympics, and everyone knows that's the most dangerous time to visit a country. So if he survived the Olympics, I'll be fine now. Yeah, the the worst thing we got in Brazil was the meat sweats from doing the Brazilian steakhouses. Is that what they call it? (laughs) How much? How much? That's that's what it started with. (laughs) How much medication do you have to take to get rid of the meat sweats? Is it an ointment or? It's it's a lifelong prescription to preparation H wipes. <laughs> oh, okay, that's not so bad. <laughs> Worth it. They're expensive. <laughs> they add up. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's let's use this as one of our opportunities. Hey, anyone who out there who makes preparation H wipes, if you want to sponsor the podcast, uh, we've got one co-host who will give you rave reviews if it works. We'd love it. Actually, it was one of the things when I when I moved into Arizona, someone told me, I was like, oh, you know, what, you know, what do I got to know? What do I got to do? And he's like, listen, you're going to be eating Mexican food like five times a week now. Invest in a good set of wipes. <laughs> and that advice has just always stuck in my brain. Hey, friend. Interesting. It's a real conversation stopper, <laughs> I've got to say. Yeah, I don't really know where to go from here. It's, it's damaging. <laughs> don't flush yeah, them down good. the toilet though let's try and move away from that particular imagery and i guess uh speaking of athletes and oh. police brutality we can talk about 
we can talk about an English footballer who's got himself into a little bit of trouble on holiday. That was a probably should have gone bridge. to Costa Rica. <laughs> if only, if only, if only Harry Maguire had gone to Costa Rica instead of Greece. I think he said that in his interview as well. He was like, I really regret going to Greece now. I hear Costa Rica is super safe. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, the Harry Maguire thing has kind of dominated uh, the headlines over here as well. So, um, Can you explain it? Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, he, he about uh, what a week ago, I think it was, that it happened. He basically got into a, uh, legally speaking, an altercation with the Greek police and um, then was subsequently arrested and recently had a trial and was given a suspended sentence of, I think it was 21 months. It was just under two years. Um, and as a result of that, he's obviously been withdrawn from the England squad as well. But um, yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. Lots of memes going around about it. But fundamentally, Harry Maguire just did an interview with the BBC uh, today, I think it was, where he actually broke down and he was basically saying like he tried to run away with a handcuff on and like he got told that he was thrown off the bus and they hit him in the legs and all that. And we were saying just before the call that it's kind of like, well, you must have done something wrong. It's not like the police would just randomly do this and pick you off. They must have done something because he's refusing to apologize to anyone. He's saying that he's done nothing wrong. And I just find that Slightly hard to believe. For me, the thing is, even if you haven't done anything wrong, to not even be able to say, look, I regret the fact that I put myself in a position where this was able to happen. That's the mind-blowing aspect. Even if you say, okay, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that I didn't break the law, that I didn't do anything that I'm being accused of, you would in the very least say, look, as Manchester United captain and as an England player, I should not have put myself in a situation where this could have happened. I should have been more sensible than that. And to throw into the fact too, it's not just, he wasn't the only one who was convicted of it. His brother was also convicted and one of their sort of childhood friends who was on holiday with them as well, I think he was also. So it's the, all three of them have been found guilty. So I'm confused. He was on a bus and according to him, he gets kicked off the bus and all three of them get arrested for no apparent reason. So the apparently they got kicked off the bus uh, and apparently they, the police were unmarked as well. So they weren't wearing police clothing and they didn't identify themselves as police. Um, and apparently, according to Harry Maguire, they were telling uh, him that his career is over. So obviously what he's saying is he was personally identified as kind of a rich English footballer and they were going to do something about it but so so he originally was being arrested for something he did on the bus to get kicked off the bus yeah which which leads us to the real question why is Harry Maguire riding a bus sure it wasn't a party bus <laughs> maybe but even then get a private one <laughs> it was a group minibus maybe so it, it was a, a party private bus. party bus <laughs> was he in an uber pool <laughs> yeah. he's very responsible with his money I mean, it's true. It's, it's the things we say all the time about athletes that I don't get. Like when athletes get caught drunk driving or something like that, I don't, why are you ever driving? You make $20 million yeah. a year. You buy these expensive mansions and all these other things. You can't just invest a little money in an Uber. Well, this is or, the point. I mean, let, let alone a personal driver, but something where you're not the one driving. 
I mean, the best of that was Hugo Lloris, right? Who, not that it's funny that he was so drunk that he couldn't really properly operate his car and was driving himself home because something awful could have happened. And fortunately it didn't. But the fact that he got pulled over by the police and then proceeded to be, to throw up while they were speaking to him and he threw up just in his car while they were, while they were speaking to him. I mean, there must be the, the real, that must be the moment when you realize there's no way I can save this. Yeah, you know, in, you in terms of like of, serious drunk driving, vomiting over someone is probably the more comical way of it happening. Okay, yeah, yeah. We're going to make you take this test, this sobriety test. Never mind, we don't need to make you take that test. Waste <laughs> of a just, test. Yeah, you have just revealed the recent contents of your stomach all over your passenger seat. But um, so Frank, he was convicted of uh, three... No, of four things. He was convicted of four things. So they were repeated bodily harm. This is my favorite because obviously he's saying he's done nothing wrong. Attempted bribery. <laughs> um, violence against public employees and an insult after arrest. So it's kind of like you've done something wrong at some point during this process. I mean, two of them, I will let him off for. Because if so I the insult after arrest. Insult after arrest. Yeah. If I'm getting arrested and you're just like, oh, you fucking idiot. Fine. I mean, if that's getting you in trouble, fine. He's a European then, football player. He's used to that. He gets a yellow card and just screams at the ref for 30 minutes. So that's the same thing happened. He gets handcuffed. He tells him he's fucking blind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he called for VIR. <laughs> we talk about that bus driver he, he didn't do it you, little, you, yeah you can imagine him just like looking off into the distance and doing the square like kind of VAR yeah. decision yeah and then he realized that unfortunately the Greek police were using the same VAR system as the Champions League and so he was not going to be saved yeah. there was no review there was no nothing and I'm assuming the yeah. second one you're letting him off Eddie is attempted bribery yeah because I think if I were Harry Maguire and I did get arrested I would definitely say Hey, if I just slid you 10,000 euros, can you let me go? You, can you slide someone 10,000 euros? If your hand's big enough. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's less to do with the actual size of the hand. It's more to do with the fact that would you just have 10,000 euros on well, your person? If I were Harry I guess, Maguire, 100%. If I'm Harry Maguire, no, that's too traceable. If I'm Harry Maguire and I'm out in Greece, walking around with at least 50,000 in cash on me. Here's the other thing I think that's funny about that. Maybe I'm stereotyping a little bit, but if there were a European country's police force that I feel could be easily bribed, I have to feel that Greece is up there. This is kind of interesting. So off chat, we, Eddie and I were talking and we were kind of saying that most European Union police forces, you would have to feel there's a level of respectability, but maybe Greece would be up there for me if I was going to like pick out the 28 countries. Well, my I think Greece would more, be top five. My question was more Harry Maguire said that as he was getting handcuffed, right, that he, he wasn't sure that, he, that they were actual police officers. That was his doubt. And my point was more like, could you imagine getting arrested in the United Kingdom and thinking, I don't think these guys are cops. Like, I can't imagine that scenario playing out. In Greece... I still think I would never really think that, but there might be an element in the back of my mind that thinks these guys are, you know, it's a gang pretending to be in an unmarked police car and I am getting robbed. But what about Brazil? 
Well, Brazil, I'm not stopping. Oh, no, I'm not stopping. I am just, I just keep going Costa as Rica, far as I can. I'm just sitting on the beach in paradise, so I've not even seen a police officer. Okay. But surely um, the courts would have verified like these policemen or women's identities. Like they, that must have been some part of due diligence here on this trial. No, because no, obviously they, can't be they like, are. No, wait, Sam, no, <laughs> like they, they are, are police. police. <laughs> are they real police? We still don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> but yeah. That's what I don't get about it. It's like, because he's, he's very adamant and he's saying like, I apologize for putting Man U, the fans. I apologize for putting so many people through this, but I've done nothing wrong. And he even said like, I apologize for putting my family through this. It's like, well, two of them are in jail with you for this. It's, <laughs> at, at some point you must have, because also the, okay, insult after arrest, getting arrested and feeling aggrieved about it, you would probably swear. So let's just say that's fine. But attempted bribery, if you've done nothing wrong, you can't be offering someone money to stop the situation. That just isn't a good look. Yeah. So, I mean, so I don't get why I, I still don't get, has it just not been released yet? What he did to start being this whole arrest? I mean, eventually it's got to come out. Right, I haven't. Seen I don't know what the legal system is like in Greece as to whether those. I mean, I think the legal system record. has to say like this is why we're arresting you. I'm you sure they've say, said you've been I'm arrested. Sure they've said well, they've said the charges, right? I don't know if the the like specific details surrounding what happened on the bus or what happened with the police force. I don't know if those will ever come out. But obviously, the charges are are public knowledge and clear. It leads me to the real question of who will have the the sort of better PR recovery, Ben Stokes or Harry Maguire when England win the Euros? Let's be honest, Harry Maguire doesn't come out of this in any way decently. Like everyone, uh, he's already been found guilty. So say, say he lodges the appeal, it's not qualified, and then they go to retrial and he's found, you know, he's absconded. Um, most people are going to be like, well, you did it. It's probably because you have so much money and such a good legal team that you found some sort of loophole or some way of getting yourself off this. Oh, 100%. Um, I'm just going to say, even if Harry Maguire wins his appeal, in my mind, for the rest of my life, I'll think that Harry Maguire got thrown off a bus in Greece and like physically assaulted some police officers. That, that's just, there's no, it doesn't matter if the Greek authorities come out and say, we got this uh, mistaken identity, we got this 100% wrong. I'll just think, well, Harry Maguire, they've pulled some strings here. And I'll probably think that, oh, Manchester United are going to end up playing a preseason friendly against Olympiacos a few years from now. <laughs> That's, this is all a lie. I mean, well, I, but, I think ben, the Ben Stokes one also wasn't a little bit of a, a, a bigotry issue to it, which makes it a little worse. So maybe well, you should ben explain St that one t as well, because that's actually a pretty interesting story as well. So Ben Stokes was an England cricketer, and he was on a night out whoa, with whoa, another. Whoa, not was. Well, is. By the time was. Still is. He's an England cricketer who, this was what, four years ago now, I think around that, was on a night out with another, with a fellow England cricketer, and late at night was leaving a club, and the original story was that he attacked uh, a couple of guys who he thought were gay or accused of being gay, or at least in the process of attacking them, said several hom homophobic slurs. And then his side of the story was no, that two gay guys were being aggressed, and he came to their defense. And so that's why he got into a fight, was that he was actually trying to help them and that that's what led to the fight i don't know if again this is another good example seemingly 
this, his story seems to be the one that's closer to the truth. Whether or not it's the whole truth is unclear, but based on everything that's sort of come out subsequently, it seems that his portrayal is closer than what the original accusations were. But still in my mind, I think Ben Stokes is a little bit of a thug. <laughs> like I can't, I can't shake that. And that's, that's the downside of being a famous person is like once the tar has been poured over you, you're not getting it off. You might scrape a little bit of it off, but you, it's still a little, it's still there somewhere. I mean, his redemption is complete though, right? Oh, beyond oh, complete. I mean, you can, you can beat up as many gay guys as you want so long as you win a Cricket World Cup final. <laughs> Man of the match performance. Go In on, glorious more fashion. I mean, Ori's the protector of gay people and does such dominant performances. Maybe he's just a god. Exactly. He made, he made those New Zealanders look like a right bunch of pufters, so it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. I defend gay couples, so I'm allowed to be homophobic myself. <laughs> exactly. Such a I, I apply the same rule, you know, whenever I say something that's a little bit off color, I just make up for it by going out and attacking someone who said something bad as well. So, you know, I'll say something and I'll be like, ooh, that was maybe a little bit insensitive, but then I'll be waiting in line in a store and someone will be like, oh, I'm not a big, big fan of immigrants. So I'll just punch them in the face and I go, leveled one up, karma balanced. You would be the most confusing punisher ever you know, type of character, because no one knows what you're going to do next. Like most people go after people that commit pretty heinous crimes, like rape or something like that. But you'll just level out your problems. <laughs> so you've got no idea what goes on in your day. Exactly. You're going to go beat the shit out of someone. Although I do like the fact that you, you've, you've acknowledged the fact that there that I would not commit a, a heinous crime. I would like to hope not. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would like to hope not. What a what a <laughs> ringing endorsement of my character. Well, speaking of Greece, which is known for its calamari, I think we should go to a nice Sam the Squid update. The so we can start. Um, I know this yeah. is good. The tentacles are out. It's good. All right. So let's start with the NBA first. So in the NBA, what were the two games again that you guys disagreed on? So we disagreed on the Jazz Nuggets series, which the Jazz are currently up 3-2 in. They were up 3-1, and, and the Nuggets won game five. Who took the Jazz? Sam took the Jazz. Sam the Squid took the Jazz. Yeah. And then we also disagreed on the Rockets Thunder series. Okay. And that's, Sam has the Thunder, and that series is tied at 2-all. So the right now, Rockets, so, Rockets were up 2-0, but have, uh, <laughs> the wheels have come off slightly on the Houston Rockets. So those you, are the only two you guys had separate. So the Heat, the Celtics, and the Raptors all swept. So you guys all got those right. Yeah. The other ones are the Lakers are all in your favor. The, the Lakers, Lakers are up three to one. one. Um, and Milwaukee's up three one. Clippers are up three two. Okay. So, but then three two with. Porzingis being out, Luka Doncic injured. So realistically, Sam is looking at a very good chance of an 8-for-8. Eight eight. I mean, I also have a chance for an 8-for-8, eight eight, but I would assume the Jazz Nuggets series, it's really hard to call. But it seems like the Nuggets, in order to win, require sort of a superhero effort from both of their superstars. And I don't know if they're going to be able to pull that out of the hat two more, for two more games. I mean, how impressive is it that a squid could be going eight for eight in round one of the NBA playoff predictions? I mean, to be honest with you, and I'm not just saying this because he's picking against me in one and against you in the other, 
I'm more impressed by his NHL picks just because in the NBA, which we kind of acknowledged before he made the picks, there was at least some name recognition there. There was like, he wasn't going to pick against the Lakers and the Lakers happened to be the one seed, you know, he knew the Celtics and stuff like that. So there's an element there that at least the teams that Sam could recognize were also good. The NHL success is more incredible because that's just random luck. Yeah. So for those unaware, Sam came very close to beating me in round one of the NHL playoffs and almost taking NHL off the podcast board for life. Um, It was a very valiant effort for the squid. And we've gone again for round two. Although I will say there was no agreement as if I lose round two that we don't talk about hockey anymore. That was never agreed upon. No, it but was there's just one thing see. I will say. I will say this. You've got to stop saying that teams will sweep. Yeah, <laughs> every, time, every time you've claimed, you've, you've several times, it's, it's, your hockey knowledge has taken a hit anyway because of the fact that you, you're being beaten by, well, or being, having a tight contest with a guy who literally wouldn't know which end of the stick to hold. But, but the fact that you then come on, come on. <laughs> he wants to save his one for later. Yeah, it's a it's a fifty percent shot, right? I can't set myself up, and I also made some slightly homophobic remarks earlier, so I don't want to. I don't want to make it seem like I'm a complete bigot. Just to be clear, these are all jokes. Um, so, but, but no, but the, well, the other. Oh, it's the other thing I want to bring up about just Sam. To be, just to be clear, Frank, every time you declare, well, this series is over. Well, this is going to be a sweep. Well, they have no chance. Instantly, that team crushes the other one. Yeah, yeah well, I'm just giving you guys great bets, and you're not taking them. I mean, whose fault is that? But the thing I will bring up is the most famous hockey podcast that is on, is on right now, Sam beat all three of them in their picks in round one. They went three for eight, three for eight, and I think four for eight. And Sam went five for eight without any hockey knowledge. He beat three people whose life's work is a hockey podcast. So it's pretty impressive. Are we talking about spitting chicklets here? Yeah. Can we, wow. can we like retweet this or you know, send them a tweet to uh, yeah, kind we of could. explain we that you right, should we, listen to Sam the Squid? We officially yeah. declare war on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, and we're coming after you on social media. Yep, I like it. And, so, and if these guys are too sissy to take Sam on <laughs> in the next round of predictions, so be it. The, the yep. world will see it for themselves. Yep, yep. because we'll the, just Sam the Squid. He sees the motion in the ocean. It's going well at the moment in the NHL, right? We'll just we'll just start throwing squids at their houses if they don't accept our challenge. Such or we just send them nice, nice fried calamari plates. <laughs> what, like enjoy. a before and after? Like you throw yeah. a squid, then you throw calamari. <laughs> 30 you just minutes show later, the life of the squid. <laughs> DoorDash comes and gives them a nice like, fried I like calamari. The fact you, I like the fact that you throw calam- like the calamari stage, like deep fried calamari stage, into the sort of life cycle of a squid. <laughs> well, let's be honest. Most squids just end up on a plate, right? I mean, I would guess no. I don't know enough about squids, but I would imagine most of them happily live out their lives in the ocean and they're either eaten by like a whale or something or just die. Why wouldn't you think that the whale would deep fry them? Maybe. (laughs) It's true. So getting into round two, it is completely up in the air, but 
more towards Sam the Squid's heir. <laughs> uh, so Philadelphia Flyers and the Islanders are tied 1-1. I took the Islanders. Squid took the Flyers. Uh, Tampa Bay, Boston. Um, I took Boston. He took Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is up 2-1 in that series. And they looked dominant last game. 7-1 if I saw him, right? Yes, you did see right. Oh, see, now he's reading. He said Tampa Bay looked dominant. So everyone pile on Boston in game four. Game, yeah. Uh, Vegas, Vancouver. I took Vegas. He took Vancouver. That series is 1-1. That was one I was... Not the sweep that you predicted? Nice nice 1-0 sweep. sweep. (laughs) Wow. And then the one I think that saves me is Colorado, Dallas. Colorado was down 0-2. Last night... They were up 3 nothing, blew the lead to be down 4-3, and came back to win I'll that just, game. Just to, the Dallas, the Stars were up 1-0. Then it was 3-1. Sorry, 3-1, sorry. Yeah, then went 4-3. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very nice comeback. That was a great game. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's been very interesting. And, actually, the Philly game was, was interesting, too. Um, we talk a lot about weird rules and everything. Um, Philly was up 3-0. The Islanders came back to tie it 3-3 with two minutes left. And the Philadelphia Flyers coach challenged the goal. And it wasn't overturned. But the new rule in the NHL is if you challenge a call and it's not overturned, you have to serve a penalty. So with two minutes left, they then had to go down a man tied 3-3 when like the momentum had completely shifted and luckily they fought it off and then ended up scoring in overtime to win. But I like that. It could have been a really way. bad one. What? That, I like that rule. I think, yeah, that I, think that's throwing, a, I think that's a good rule. Throwing yeah. that factor into the challenge element would make it yeah. so much more interesting. Yeah. Like imagine if they introduced that in football and where like a coach challenged and it was obviously found like not to be correct, but a player had to come off for like Simbin. No, or you like just automatically give away a penalty. It's a penalty. Oof. Well, incorrect challenge see that's penalty. brutal that's brutal yeah that's but rough i would say like 10 minutes one player off the pitch you're allowed but, to choose the player but not a currently formatted penalty like the mls style penalties from the 90s when they tried the to run do up like the, when they tried to do the hockey style penalty and you just saw those pathetic attempts from from mls players yeah so speaking of the hockey because i know you guys aren't watching it all actually, you should take that back. I've, watched, I've actually watched quite a few of the games. Wow. I, I just corrected you on the Stars uh, Colorado. You did. You did score. correct me on that. So are you, are you streaming it through like a site or is it on Sky? Uh, I'm streaming it. Okay. So if you're watching through NBC Sports, you see that the Spit and Chicklets guys are on the commercial every other one. Oh, for I see their it Pink all Whitney. the time. The Amsterdam all the commercial. Time. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's yeah, relentless. It's, it's every commercial break. Every other, it's two commercials they play. They play the New Amsterdam Vodka and the iPhone one with the two Vegas Knights players doing like their like on ice antics by taping the, the camera the, of their phone to like different like. Well, places. don't worry. That's going to be Sam soon on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> so no. We're going to tape it. What? We're going to tape an iPhone to a squid and throw it yeah. on the ice. <laughs> Eight yeah, iPhones. get the word out. That's a new squid in town. <laughs> but, uh, and actually, speaking of illegal streaming. Um, I saw this week one of the funny fallout stories from the Champions League. Some website, which was bizarre, it was in the UK, I believe, was some illegal website was streaming the Champions League final. Um, even though BT Sport actually streamed the game for free on their YouTube channel. 
but a bunch of people still watch this illegal stream that they didn't need to watch. And they, um, the person streaming it, instead of showing the Champions League final, they showed the Bayern Munich PSG group game from 2016. And over 11,000 people sat through a match from 2016 thinking that it was the current final. Even though there were several players. Yeah. That, for starters, Neymar wouldn't have been there. Neither of the managers were the same. The, no, Neymar was... 2016. No, Neymar wasn't there. No. But Cavani was it Robin was there. still there? Cavani. Robin was there. Uh, Cavani was there. Um, you know, just a whole different... I mean, there was a decent amount of overlap because actually... Bayern and PSG have been two of the more stable teams in a way in European football for a while. So there, you, there, you would still recognize quite a few of the players. But the other thing is there were 70,000 people in the stadium watching the game. <laughs> but that alone should have clued a few people in. And also a game being played in a completely different stadium because I think it was the, it was the match from uh, Munich. And so instead of a match being being from in portugal in lisbon but that's okay speaking of which are a bit simple speaking of which did you see that in the uk they're trialing crowds at sporting events uh next month so you've got for the st ledger uh in what is it warwick and Newmarket, they're trialing crowds uh, i think it's like three thousand and then six thousand for like the last couple of days but also like brighton are trialing uh, for horse racing. For their like preseason. For, yeah, that's horse racing, the St. Ledger. And then Brighton I mean, in football are trialing it for uh, preseason friendly. So it, it's good to see it all kind of waking up again. All I can say is, as someone who lived in Warwick and who went to Warwick Racecourse on several occasions, a 3,000 person capacity for Warwick Racecourse is more than sufficient. It's mega. <laughs> you sure it wasn't 30? I mean, yeah. What, three 30, people, <laughs> honestly, just three people some days was a good turnout. But yeah, it's, it's good to see. It'll be good to go to Newmarket for actually. Well, that, that actually kind of ties in to the reason I brought up the New Amsterdam commercial is obviously the Spit and Chicklets people have made their own alcohol, the, the Pink Whitney, which is like a pink lemonade vodka. And they say it's the greatest thing to drink during the games, blah, blah, blah. It's like the, the drink of the NHL and now even some of the stadiums have made their own versions of it using the pink Whitney and like a slushy and things like that. And it kind of made me think we could do a top five of what you guys think are like the go-to either foods or drinks for a sporting event. And that would be one could be the actual sporting event. Like if there was a specific one at a sporting event, or if you're just sitting at the bar, what's like your go-to thing that you're going to order watching a game at the bar. Okay. Well, while my brain processes that particular question, I will say you got to give the spitting chicklets guys credits credit for somehow turning basically a Bacardi breezer into a manly drink that you should have during a hockey game. I mean, it is, it is an incredible piece of branding. Have you had it? Is it any good? I've never had Pink Whitney. I've had it yeah, I brought Frank, it. Frank brought it to Paris. And we took oh. pictures of it in the Eiffel Tower and they were actually put on New Amsterdam. It was pretty cool. But it's, it's vodka that has a taste of pink lemonade in it. It's 70 proof vodka. So you can drink it on the rocks if you want. It's not that great. But if you mix it with soda, with club soda, it tastes, it's good. It tastes decent. 
Oh, I remember Bacardi Breeze. It's been weaker than that, though. I was once kicked off of my high school football team for drinking a Bacardi Breezer. Why? Because of the drinking or because it was a Bacardi Breezer? <laughs> because of the drinking. We'd, we'd, signed a, we'd signed a high school sporting contract. Because you were on Land Rollers? Yeah. No, this is pre-Land Roller days. Maybe the, me choosing to drink, opting to drink a Bacardi Breezer was, a, was an indication that the Land Rollers weren't too far off. But uh, we, we, would had, we had to sign a contract saying that we wouldn't drink alcohol during the sports seasons. And obviously that rule was regularly broken. And because we'd go on these weekend long away trips um, during the regular season. And we went to a visiting team and the host. So we'd usually have two or three of you would stay with one of the host families, one of the uh, opponents that you were playing against. And we, our host family, our ho- the, the guy took us out to a bar and we stayed there. We had a curfew of 10 o'clock. We got home by 945. I had, I think, two Bacardi Breezers. So I was in no way in a state. Um, we then played the next day, won convincingly. Morning, Monday morning turned up to school, and then the head of upper school told us to stay in, anyone who had been on the trip to stay in, in the uh, after assembly, and then proceeded to tell us that one girl had gone on the trip and had, had reported to her family that everyone else had gone out drinking, but that she was good and she hadn't done it. And then the, those, her parents had called the school and said, our daughters just told us that everyone on this trip is out drinking. And so then the school told us like, look, if we, we she's told us all the names of everyone who is out. So are you gonna, everyone who's on this trip is gonna get punished if you were out drinking, but your punishment is gonna be less significant if you come forward and you have until the end of the day today to come forward. So I spoke to the five guys who was I was out with, and we fell for this thing like hook, line, and sinker. Like it was like making a murderer of a high school interrogations, right? You Spartacus so we were, it. Yeah, we were like, well, we're definitely going to get caught. So what we'll do is we'll come forward and confess, but we won't we won't uh, implicate anyone else. We'll just say what we did, and we won't if they ask. So I went into the dean of students' office and I said, look, I was on the trip, and I went. I was back by curfew, but I had two drinks. I wasn't drunk. And uh, he said, okay, well, thank you for coming forward. Uh, will you tell us who, was else, who else was in the bar? And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, great, I respect you. You know, I understand why you wouldn't do that. And then he kind of paused for a second. He was like, but when you were ordering a drink, who else was ordering a drink around you? I was like, no, I'm not going to fall for this. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you who else was in the bar. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I respect that. Uh, while you were in the bar, did, did anyone else ever buy you a drink? And we went through like 30 minutes of him rephrasing this question. He never, I'm about to come out and say, he never called me out on that one. I wasn't that stupid. But uh, eventually then he, they called my parents in. My dad had to come in from work. They didn't tell them what I'd done. They just said that you had to come, like, come to the dean of students office because your son was in trouble. So obviously my parents turned up thinking that I'd done something awful. And uh, we sat down in the dean of students office and then they said, well, your son had um, went out on the Friday night and had some drinks. And they said, like, oh, did he get drunk and, like, do something bad? They're like, no, 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 he wasn't drunk and he was home by curfew and he didn't do anything. Like, his behavior seems to have been exemplary apart from having a drink. And they're like, okay, so what's the problem? And they're like, well, he's not allowed to drink with his contract that he signed. And I was like, okay. And then, but he came forward, so he gets a lesser punishment for having come forward. And I was like, well, what's my punishment? And they're like, one day suspension from school and you're off the team. And I was like, well, what's this more severe wow. punishment if I had been, <laughs> if I hadn't? And they were like... A longer suspension from school. 
(laughs) The only thing I care about in this punishment is the fact that I've been kicked off the team and I resent them to this day. I can picture your parents when they said that you hadn't really done anything wrong and you just had two drinks home by curfew. We were fine. I can just picture your parents being like, so what the fuck are we doing here? Well, you have to keep in mind, right? I was, I was in, in the country that I was in at the time when I went on this trip, I was over the age, like I was legally allowed to drink alcohol. So I hadn't broken any laws. So it was, you know, it was kind of a mind blowing thing. And look, I kind of get it, but it was, it was a rough moment in my life. And that really, that sent me on the, the spiral that led to land rollers. Yeah. I, I feel like your parents would have been way more disappointed if they got brought in and they were told yeah. that you were, you were caught wheeling on land rollers after curfew hours. Yeah. I think they're uh, more disappointed at the, the kind of life decision or the life like tangent you've gone on now because of the Bacardi breezes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And if you want a really sad moment then and out of spite the next year, I had custom Nike cleats made. And uh, on this side of them, I had stitched in breezer on the side of the cleats. It was like my silent protest to the school. Wow. Yeah, they were bright blue Nike cleats with breezer written in red on the side of them. What were we talking Uh, about Did that that give you time to think of your top five? I mean... Yep. I've got my... I have two of my top five. Well, actually, I have three of my top five for like in... Like at event food. So it was food, but it was also like a place where you... So it's... It's either food or drink. That's your go-to, either just in general watching sporting event. Like if you're going to the bar, you're going to watch a sporting event or at a specific sporting event. So for I mean, instance, I can give you one of mine is when we go to Royal Ascot. Yeah. I love yeah. The, the pork sandwich that they have. It's like a pulled pork and it's got the, the cracklings on it. So the fried skin. And it's not a bit, the, my only complaint is it's a European size sandwich. So I could easily down three to four of them, but they're about 12 pounds of sandwich. No one one downs pork sandwiches. No one downs a sandwich. Well, I can down pork sandwiches. (laughs) But it's really good. And it just brings back good memories too. You know, like you can get the smell of the grass and the turf while you're eating it. It's it's, it's (laughs) good. pork sandwiches. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure. I've had that same sandwich, and I don't know if I've had a smell of grass and turf at the same time. No, when I, like, when I think about it, I can get that smell oh, okay. of the track. Okay. I get it. Like, it I mean, one memories. of my top five, maybe want to save it for last, but my top five would be an Ascot-related food yeah. and drink experience. You I guess we can go. For number- I, no, got- we, we could do it now because it's just, I'm already thinking about Should it. We do it because so we might even just like go off on a tangent here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a pub um, just outside Ascot Racecourse. And I think, I think it's called the Stag. The Stag. And uh, it's a tradition of ours that for the two days of Royal Ascot that we go to, we always, we always pop in there after the races for at least one day. And uh, in their beer garden, they have a, they have a, a bar, an outdoor bar that they have. And then they, in addition to that, they start sort of grilling burgers and stuff and selling those. And a burger, I think is five pounds normally. And then they all, they, they uh, sometimes have these like other deals. So they had a sh- five shots of, of Ye- five Jaeger bombs was something weird. It was like 12 pounds, 50 or something for five shots of five Jaeger bombs. And one, and it started when one of us went up to order 
uh, I think it was it was like one burger and and some Jaeger bombs, and it worked out to like thirteen pounds thirty eight, some like bizarre outcome that was just not possible. At which was, point, we, at which point we all just decided to pile into this burger yeah, and a Jaeger bomb. It was it was just so amazing was, watching this guy who didn't have a till or any sort of like calculator. He was just taking everything by hand. I don't even think card was a thing like a few years ago, and you could see like the algorithms in his head trying to was, understand what was going on. It was so bad that it was almost to the point that the burger and the five shots of Jaeger bombs were less than if you just got five Jaeger bombs. Yes. Oh, no, it was. Like somehow it wasn't as if you were getting, you know, like instead of $5 for the burger, you're paying two. You actually got the burger for free and got a discount on five Jaeger bombs, but got it all. It was the greatest deal. And I'll never forget the first person who got it, it was either you or me. And then we kind of looked at each other and then whoever was the next one, me or you, then ordered the exact same thing. So it was like right on his mind. And he's just like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever the price is, twelve twenty-five or whatever. And then rang it up. And then you instantly ran back and said, guys, you got to go up and get a burger and five shots of Jaeger. And then we all lined up. And within 20 minutes, we all had five burgers and about 30, 25 shots of Jaeger. And the thing and is, it was, he wasn't even consistent on the price. Like he never ripped anyone off, but the price, like one person would order, he'd be like, oh, that's thirteen twenty-eight. The next guy would order, be like, oh, that's twelve eighty-seven, please. Like it was all just really <laughs> random numbers that were impossible considering everything they sold was in increments of 50p. Like there was no way for anything to not be 50, like a round number. So it's almost was, like he's in like real time, like stock market kind of yeah, thing. Well, exactly. I don't know, guys, I've sold a lot of burgers. Or, or, gotta, or even worse, he's like, God, we got to offload. These burgers are about to go off. We got we to gotta ship a few of these ones. So we've got discount bargain sale. deals on these. Yeah. But then it was the probably, part too, there was, it was probably the most the more, Jaeger bombs I've ever drank too. I mean, yeah. within, within an hour, we had about seven, I think. But then also there was a like more senior person working next to him, manning the grill. And there was a moment when that guy overheard the price being said. It was just like, wait, what? All of a second. His How much are you charging them? His face. <laughs> I'll never forget the face. Like when he overheard and kind of turned and looked at the guy and gave a face like, what the hell is that number you just said? It's at least 10, 15 pounds less. Uh, it's incredible. So anyone, if you're in the Ascot area, pop by the stag, order I a burger and five Jaeger bombs. I doubt probably they be do a lot it. More expensive, yeah, expensive I doubt they do it on Ascot days. <laughs> it lives. It lives up to its name because it is all men. Yeah, it is quite the stag bar. Uh, and yeah, no, they definitely don't because then the last year we went, it was the year I think the last race. I had one pretty good on the last race, and I was like, oh, I'll get us a bunch of Jaeger bombs and I asked the guy for a Jaeger bomb special and he almost refused to even serve me them, let alone give me a special. He's like, I'm not going to do that. And I was like, well, can I, uh, don't give me a special. Can I just have them? No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, what? I can't so they, them. they clearly have lost significantly from that one year. And then I guess kind of running on the Ascot theme, my second favorite for the sort of UK event related food would be if you're ever attending a match at Twickenham regardless of what the match it is be it a rugby match which would be what you would expect but even when there's the NFL games at Twickenham and you kind of walk up to the stadium and people in their backyards are cooking or sort of grilling burgers and and hot dogs and stuff and you just buy them on the street they're not necessarily always the most amazing burgers you ever had 
but just the experience of kind of like buying a burger from someone's backyard and then moving on and kind of making your way up to the stadium. It's a nice experience. I'm going to, um, I'm going to throw my hat in here and say the big chill. I mean, so for me specifically, it relates to when I'm just about to get on a Eurostar to Paris for the Super Bowl. It's always like this is the start of my like four day weekender where, you know, go to Paris, uh, kind of tear the place apart, watch the Super Bowl, but always in a big chill, always have the burger that they do there. And it's just such a great start. So I, I usually vary up the burger to be fair, but go into the big chill. I think you guys will probably have this maybe in the top five kind of coming. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a good way here, for us like to say. Ascot. I guess it's a way for us to say that's kind of our origin story in terms of our name, right? Yeah. Which is that traditionally in every trip that we take to England, like, uh, which usually happens obviously at least once for Royal Ascot every year, but also a few others for different sporting events and stuff. We always meet at the Big Chill uh, pub or bar, whatever it, term it goes by, near St. Pancras. Um, I know it's part of a chain or but there is one not far from the station and we go there every time. And so that is the origin of our name because it's where we often meet up and have discussions. But it is definitely, I know if I'm going to the big chill that a, that a good sporting event is probably not far off. Yeah, for sure. I think for, for me, it's like Sam said, it, it, we usually go that first day we get there. So it's like the initiation of the start of Royal Ascot or if we're doing the last time we went was for the, like we saw the Spurs and some other, what else did we go there for? We saw Spurs Southampton. Yeah. In the Premier and we League. also did it for that. It's just like a good way to get it started. Good pub, good food, good beer on tap. That always has a good memory for me. I think Incredible for me, atmosphere. Yeah, incredible atmosphere until they go into a nightclub. I'll also say too, that, that Sunday before Royal Ascot often coincides with like the U.S. Open is often, even golf is often finishing up. And there's like a few decent horse races in France or something that Sunday before. And also whenever, every two years, we either have the Euros or the World Cup going on. So you usually have a packed Sunday when we're there in sport and yeah. then the anticipation of a good event coming up. It's so good, it's always good. Year. Yeah, for me too, I think definitely tailgating at the Giant Games. I've been going to Giant Games since I was three, four years old tailgating with my parents and my parents are part of this huge tailgate where it's anywhere from on an off day when the giants are super non-competitive. So like the past four years of about 40 people to on big days, it can be anywhere from like 80 to a hundred people at this tailgate. And it's usually about eight girls long. Um, so there's tons and tons of food and some of the food like pork roll, pork roll and cheese in the mornings pork roll is basically like a, a mix between bacon and ham kind of really really good um there's like garlic steak on baguettes we get my dad will do these crazy crazy like high-end dishes like filet mignon we usually have lobster clams all this crazy stuff so that's definitely one i think other than that i think if i'm at a bar my go-to is always nachos a good plate of nachos. And that's, I guess, the risk is if you get a shitty plate of nachos, it is so, so disappointing. Whereas wings, you can get shitty wings and they're still wings, but you get shitty nachos and it just puts a damper on the day. 
Yeah, I mean, good... when you're in the situation when it's someone who's literally just like microwaved some cheese over some tortilla chips. Yeah. it's And then like lumped some like guacamole, like store-bought guacamole on top of them and some store-bought salsa. Eight-day-old meat. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty yeah. bad experience. Yeah, And it's also just Indeed. disappointing because you're right. You like anticipate like, oh, I'm going to a bar. The nachos are going to be my order. Yeah, and I want when... like layers on those nachos. I want like the pile of nachos with the layers of cheese and things, not just one crappy top layer of cheese. Well, my bare minimum is that I shouldn't be able to make better nachos easily at home. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah. That, and yeah. that's, what, yeah. that's what wings have going for them, right? Is I don't make wings at home. So even when they're crappy wings, it's at least like, well, I wanted wings and I got wings. True. When you have, not that I regularly make nachos at home, but I know that I could go to a store and in three minutes buy the things I need, come home, microwave it, and they'll be shitty nachos, but sometimes they're better than what I would get in a bar because I at least bothered to layer it and like at least chose some decent ingredients to get involved in it. So Now, are you guys a fan of like cheese sauce nachos or melted cheese nachos? I would always do cheese sauce if that's going. Because to me, that means that's an indication typically that the nachos themselves are going to be that one step up at a bare minimum. Cheese sauce is your step up of a higher class nacho. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not talking Michelin starred here, right? I'm not like, well, as long as you can pour <laughs> cheese sauce on it, it's classy. <laughs> Michelin star nachos. <laughs> I saw Gordon Ramsay make some the other day. Looks delicious. But no, they... To me, once you've gone, because that means they're not just like nuking it in a microwave. There's at least some effort going into it. So to me, when I see the cheese sauce option, that means that a little bit more thought is being put into the nachos that they're going to send out to you. And it also gives you the advantage that it seeps through. So even if they haven't, like they're not layered it, but the fact that it will run all through the nachos means that you don't just have a bunch of cheese right on top. That's a great point. So there's, there's, a, there's a bar here that I go to normally to watch most of the sporting events because they have tons of TVs so you can watch multiple things at once. And they do pork belly nachos, which pork belly on, on the nacho is great, but then they do the cheese sauce. So you get a good hefty portion of cheese and pork belly. This is nice. When, when you visit in October, Sam, I'll take you to a place here that does good cheese sauce nachos. Yeah. What I hate is when the, the tortillas are stale and there's no real like crisp to them or anything. And you can just feel that all they've done is just heat up something out of a bag that's been like left open for like two days. And it's absolutely vile. It's so bad. Yeah. I mean, that's the frustrating thing, right? Nachos should be so easy to do at a like bare minimum standard. It's like a burger. When you have a bad burger, it's so disappointing because you just think to yourself, like you almost have to go out of your way to make a bad burger. (laughs) <laughs> like to make a burger that I really haven't enjoyed. Like, I'm not going to say it's going to blow my mind when I eat it, but the fact that you just haven't like reasonably well-cooked, decent bun, that's all you need for me. And by well-cooked, I don't mean like well-cooked. I just mean done with an element of properly. Yeah. That's all I need to at least bite that into that burger and go like, this is fine. Like, I'm happy I got a burger. And then when those moments when someone basically just like slams your face into a dry patty and rubs it in it for 15 minutes, that is the experience that makes you just regret most of your life decisions. So speaking of the, the burger, I was, I found a list of like the best stadium foods and some of them are just out of the box crazy. Um, but the number one for 
NFL stadiums is called the Gridiron Burger Challenge. And it is in the Arizona Cardinal Stadium. So I think the next time I go, I might give this a run. The only downside is it's a $75 burger. <laughs> but if you no, eat I'm just the gonna whole say this. thing. I'm just going to say this, Frank. I haven't, I haven't heard any of the details about what you're about to do to your body. But I'm going to tell you right now, $75 is not the only downside. <laughs> you better have loads of those wipes ready. <laughs> yeah. In a stadium. Yeah. So if you, you might finish, just eat it on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, Frank, there is nothing classy about you in a $75 burger. So you wiping your ass in the middle of a stadium <laughs> is no change. I, mean, I don't think it's doable. But if you get it in under an hour, you earn yourself a Cardinals jersey and a photo on the scoreboard. So here is the burger. Includes five one-third pound burger patties. So you're looking at 2.6 pounds of burgers, five all beef hot dogs, five bratwurst. Wait, how are they layered? I don't get this. What? <laughs> Hold on, let me finish it and then I'll show you the picture. Five hot dogs, five bratwurst, 20 slices of American cheese, eight slices of bacon, eight chicken tenders, 12 ounces of fries, lettuce, pickles, and whatever the hell tanker sauce is on a 10-inch bun. At least there's some lettuce in it. I mean, I'll say two things. Oh, God, the picture. It doesn't look... I mean, the That's thing is there's no... It looks decent. It looks decent. There's no perspective here. Oh, right? wait, there so, is a little bit. Look at the... Um, the drink? The drink on yeah, the right. it's pretty big. Here's the thing is, I say for $75, that actually might be a bargain, because if, <laughs> if you just disassembled the burger and ate everything individually, that's actually, A, it would feed several people very comfortably. Yep. But you'd also be like, actually, in a stadium for $75, that's not bad. And my second thought would be, it's the only time I've ever heard 10 inches mentioned, and I've seen Sam look like he's not interested. <laughs> I mean. Uh, all right, Eddie, actually, I'll give me to take the... I was going to say to take the load off of Sam, but that's also pretty inappropriate. Okay, to, to take the heat off of Sam, I'll give you the one that is in Levi's Stadium. For those who don't know, that's home to the San Francisco 49ers. It's called Jimmy Jesus the Roast. And the Jimmy Jesus and the future Super Bowl champions. Yep. It's called the Roast Beast. It's seven different types of meat. There's 24 quail. 12 chickens, eight ducks, six turkeys, two lambs, a whole pig, and one beef saddle. Wait, it's what? only available to a select group of fans, season ticket holders that pay an additional $5,000 fee to attend the team's buffet and tailgate parties. I mean, I'm, I'm 100% in because that's like a medieval feast. A whole pig. Yeah. So here's yeah, the I'm picture. In. It I'm is in. pretty it impressive. It just means I, I am, I'm only in as long as I'm able to sort of like sacrifice a pauper as I eat it. <laughs> but what that a statement. pretty good. What a statement by the Niners. Like if they really want to show that, that the Bay Area is totally gentrified, the fact that you can order quail in the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's some crazy good ones here. Have you ever done you one can of get, those before those kind of like man versus food challenges? Have you ever been oh, successful? Yeah. Have you ever tried one? I've done a few. So Frank I, and I once had lunch together in the Cleveland area 
at one of the restaurants that the guy from Man vs. Food actually went to. Like it was his Cleveland food challenge. Uh, it's a restaurant called Melt. It's all grilled cheese awesome. related. So the good. sandwiches are great. And we went there and you, we kind of like were discussing the challenge and not in a way that we were ever going to do it, but in kind of like we hope we see it and we hope we see just how intimidating it is. Always in the back of your mind thinking when you read it on paper, you could do it. Like I thought in my mind, of course I could eat it. Like no worries. Like if I really, really wanted to, I'd force myself to. And then A, the grilled cheese that we each ordered, we all struggled to finish, like struggled hard. And I don't think actually necessarily any of us like completely finished what was on our plates. And I then, finished it. And then second of all, we saw some kid order them. When I mean kid, he was like 15 years old, just out to lunch with his parents. Like very bizarre scenario in which to take on this eating challenge. And they brought out, because it's, it's like a pound of fries, this huge several pounds of cheese on this grilled cheese sandwich. I mean, it's just awful. And to imagine it solidifying in your stomach over the course of eating it, it would just be horrific. And then a bunch of coleslaw, I think. I think that's what you have to eat. And just, it looked totally unattainable. And this was just like some skinny 15-year-old kid trying to take it on. But there was... Once I saw it on an actual plate, it was one of those like, nope, no way. Just couldn't do it. How did he do it? Yeah, so it's, it's a monster grilled cheese with 13 different cheeses, three slices of grilled be- bread, and a pile of hand-cut fries and slaw, over five pounds of food. You have to finish it all, no help, no bathroom trips, and you get a t-shirt. Oh, and a pint glass. Oh, wow. Is that it? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And I mean, so, here's so. the thing is, the food there is really good. So it's, it's kind of like, in a way, I think almost, to me, that's the downside sometimes with the food challenge places. It almost takes away from the fact that their actual food is decent because you think it's kind of like gimmicky. So you expect to go there and be like, the grilled cheese sucks, but people go there because they want to witness this disgusting food experience being taken on by someone else. But in actual fact, it's a really nice restaurant with really nice grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah, great place. But we left, to answer your question, Sam, we left before he was done. I would say he was about like halfway through at the moment in which we left. And he didn't seem to be struggling, but I would have also been surprised if he finished it. I've done a few, actually. So there was a a bar in, I guess, like an hour outside of State College where Penn State is. And it was called Denny's Beer Barrel Pub. And they're always on TV. They make they've made like a 50 pound hamburger before, but their challenges are like a two pound burger, a three pound burger, a five, a 10, blah, blah, blah. So two is like the starting. I was on the track team at Penn state, a thrower. So I had all these other big monstrous throwers and we all took the trip one day and we went out of the six of us throwers, only two people finished the two pound challenge. I didn't finish it. I can't, I had about a, maybe like a fifth of it left. One guy finished it so quickly and then ordered fried ice cream afterwards. <laughs> he was so not satisfied. The best part of the story cream. though, there was one kid who went and he's not even like the best, the biggest of eaters. Like I didn't expect him to be able to do it. So they bring it to you and it has just like a stick in the middle and it has pickle spears on the top. And depending on how many pounds it is, is how many pickle spears they have. So it's two pounds. They have two pickles. He, he gets it and he goes, Oh no, man. And I go, what, what's wrong? He goes, I hate pickles. 
And I'm like, that's not the worry here. You have a two pound burger in front of you. He's like, I, I can't eat those pickles. And I'm like, dude, just put them to the side. And if you get to that barrier, then you cross it. This kid proceeds to eat the entire burger. And now he has a big plate and it's just two pickle quarters. Like it's not a half a pickle. And he's like, guys, I can't do it. I, I just, I can't do it. We're like, come on. You just ate a two pound burger. Just shove them down and do it. He's like, I can't. And we're like, come on, please. Like you got this. This is awesome. He takes two bites of the pickle. Kind of looks. Oh, oh no. Oh no. He gets up. And instead of going to the bathroom, he tries to go for the front door to go outside. Does not make the front door. And throws up in the entryway of the restaurant. All because he couldn't eat a pickle. It was, it was amazing. That's such a strange was, thing to be beaten by. I know. Like why, you did go none that of you far. Just, why did none of you just tell him to tell them that he was allergic to pickles? Oh, you can't. That's that's cheating. <laughs> Not cheating. <laughs> he may die if he eats his pickle. No games. Just eat yep. the pickle. You gotta want it. So, so the other good one is we had at Penn State. We had a what's called "Are You Hungry?" restaurant, and they make fat sandwiches. I don't know if you guys ever heard of fat sandwiches, where it's like chicken tenders, French fries, roast beef, all on like a sandwich. It's like basically like all tons of greasy foods that you put together on a sandwich you usually eat when you're really drunk and stuff like that. Rutgers invented them and now like everyone has them. So they had the first year they opened up this restaurant. They had, it was right at the same time as March Madness. So they had a March Madness style eating contest where everyone went in, they gave everyone the same sandwich and they timed you how fast you could eat it. And then they put the top, what, 64 people into a bracket. And then from that bracket, you had to like make your way to the finals. I did it and I was a 12 seed going in. And then I made it all the way to the elite eight. I was just cruising through these people. And then when you got to the elite eight, you have to go at the same time as the person you're facing. So I walk in and this kid is sitting there. He's just like an average looking kid. Like, hey, how's it going? Oh, cool. Yeah, we're going to be competing. So they're like, who wants to go first? And this kid's like, I'll go first. So they give him the sandwich. He proceeds to just make the grossest noises and like it was the most disgusting thing I have ever seen a human do. Just shoving this greasy sandwich into his mouth at like this remarkable pace. And then they were like, all right, you're up. And I was like, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. Like there's no way I could do this. I know my time. He's got me beat by like 45 seconds. There's no way I can improve and have that much self-respect for myself. So I'm done. And I just called it. But it was, it was Man, what, so disgusting. What a, what a quitter. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you had seen it, I, I'm surprised I didn't vomit just watching this kid. It was so <laughs> gross. Just the idea of him making these weird noises as your projectile vomiting on him. Yeah. Like oh, picture the hot done. dog eating finish contest. This, finish this. <laughs> Which actually, I guess if we want to go into sporting experience food, uh, Sam and I once attended a Blackburn Rovers match. And actually, uh, Blackburn's last ever home match in the Premier League. Well, uh, for now. And uh, at that event, same, same, or this is the same place where the McTavish uh, story came from. But there we were. We were, at a, we were in a pub uh, outside this, like not far from Ewood Park. So sort of standing outside the pub eating, and there were these two 
two very, very drunk, aggressive men standing outside, one of whom proceeded to projectile vomit all over the floor of the kind of <laughs> terrace that everyone was, was, uh, was, was uh, standing on drinking a beer. And a couple of guys sort of laughed at it because it was a little bit funny. Just the stream that came out of his mouth was unbelievable. And uh, the guy who threw up looked over at them and went, what are you guys laughing at? If you keep laughing, I'll make you fucking eat it. It's one of the more intimidating. <laughs> if you ever think that you can't recover, you can't regain your dignity after throwing up in public, this man managed to do it. <laughs> it oh, was... God. Oh. No, I and I guess that now. now that I've told a story of Sam and food related, I guess, Frank, I'd also put in my top experiences uh, at Progressive Field, the Cleveland Indian Stadium. Uh, they sell they sell they sell both a ice cream sundae and also nachos in a small, like not that small, but like child size baseball plastic helmet that you then d- eat directly out of the helmet. And when I saw it, I had to get it. Not only it because... Is, it's like the most American thing yeah. that do you, you have can a, get. Do you have a picture of it or anything? Is there any sort of visibility? Because <laughs> I could probably dig up a picture if given enough time. But it was also... I, I could too. It's not only that you get to eat, and the food in it was pretty good. Like the nachos were not bad. So there's that. Cheese sauce. Also, yeah, cheese sauce. You also get to keep the helmet afterwards. So if you had a kid with you, you just... You just finish off the nachos and plunk that on its head. Oh, you don't finish it. You just or, plunk it on the kid. Oh, uh, I was going to go, or you have a grown man with an enormous sized head that you can just put it on like a little top, oh, little mini top hat. Yes, which was my situation. It was nowhere near big enough to fit my head, but it was, uh, you know, honestly, it's one of those things like it's the only thing I will say about it is it gets a lot of, even though it was being sold almost everywhere, like it was being sold at a lot of the concession stands. When I bought it, I obviously was one of the few people actually buying it. And when you're a grown man walking around a baseball stadium, holding this, this like upside down helmet with nachos in it. I've now found the picture. You're posing like you've just won an award. You're holding up a trophy. But it's a lot of nacho. Look how much nacho that is in there. You know, we'll, like we'll two pop, jalapenos. We'll put that up on our Instagram so that uh, any listeners can can get to see. Which is a good way of us encouraging anyone to listening. If you really want to see a photo of me holding a baseball helmet filled with nachos, go and follow the Big Chill Podcast on Instagram, and you'll get to see that in the next couple of days. Yeah, I'm really glad you did that too because I remember when we went to the game. I was thinking. As a non-American, Eddie needs to do the most American thing you can do at a baseball game, which besides probably like bringing your baseball glove to try and catch a foul ball, which I think is always a ridiculous thing, getting the helmet full of food is, is quite the American experience for a ballpark. Well, it wasn't the most embarrassing experience of my day, though, that day, because they also had a speed gun there to measure <laughs> and- now, famously, right, like a year ago, a guy attended like through like 93 miles an hour at a baseball stadium speed gun and then got, got a contract by the, from the Oakland A's because they saw him doing this. Yeah, that was awesome. Mine, on the other hand, kept throwing. And here's the thing is, I'm just going to say that speed gun was not accurate at all because they had my girlfriend clocking like three miles an hour faster than me and it was even frank will attest to the fact that the speeds were seemed suspiciously low frank you only threw like 58 
No, that's not true. I threw in the seventies. No way. Yes, this I is... did. I yes, I did because I always say I have a really strong arm. <laughs> no, I don't think I have a picture of that though. No, you don't. It's hard to have a picture of something you make up. Because then you tried to cricket throw it as well. You tried to like almost bowl it, and that didn't work so well either. Yeah. Well, tell you what, we'll head back to progressive field, and I will destroy that speed gun. <laughs> we'll see. All right. So, any other? food-related topics? No food-related ones, but I guess if we're talking about, you know, cheesy nachos, they can get a little bit messy. So maybe we should talk about the fact that Lionel Messi has asked to leave Barcelona. You see, you guys have made fun of my segues before, but that was as smooth as it could possibly get. Compared to the risky one at the start of this segue, (laughs) like Harry Maguire, that was... Yeah. This one's more uh, impressive. Yes. Barcelona has seemingly, isn't quite the messy yeah, situation. Messi has seemingly asked to leave Barcelona. And there are rumors that his dad is in the UK at the moment trying to negotiate a deal, probably mm. with Manchester United, but possibly with Manchester City. Supposedly, wait, wait. Did you say his dad? His dad, yeah. yeah. Is his, his dad, dad his agent? I don't know if he's or officially his agent, but no. he's his representative, sort it, of. He makes decisions. Okay. It's one of those weird situations, because I think... Like Tevez as well. Like his dad got involved with Goa Corbachan or whatever he's called, the agent. Like it seems to be like a South American thing where like fathers represent, or maybe even Neymar, I think. His dad was the guy, his dad was the guy who was supposed to be paying the taxes, put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) But he, um, he, yeah, and also supposedly Messi called Guardiola a couple of weeks ago to speak about the possibility of leaving Barcelona. And I guess discuss whether or not Manchester City would be interested in him, which I, to me, there's no point. We're not going to break any news right on whether he's leaving. Still, when you look at the betting, odds are that he's staying. Barcelona, like remaining and being at Barcelona next season is still a slight favorite. Manchester United seems to be the next most likely destination. So I guess my question for you two would be, if you're in charge of a team, assuming Messi, and we'll just take for granted that Messi is interested if you're say you're PSG, City, or United, whoever you are, would you sign him? 33 years old, going to cost a lot of money, going to be on a lot of money. I mean, I know there's possibly that he's going to buy himself out of his contract. I think that's part of the way it might come about. But still, you're going to pay him a lot of money. Yeah, it's... I, th- I think it's also like the merchandising and stuff that goes with it. I, I, I read something interesting about his contract, though, because apparently Messi activated a clause in his contract that says that at the end of each season he can leave for free pending that he does it in within a certain time period before the season starts or after the season ends so Barcelona are claiming that he's too late Um, so he would have to sell for a transfer fee now if that is the case and I've seen figures around like 170 million or 150 million I wouldn't sign him because you're paying what 150 million, then you need to fork up what 600k a week, uh, 700k a week. I, I can't see it. I, I did see though um, the idea of Juventus going for him because then maybe for one season they would have Messi and Ronaldo playing with each other, and you can just imagine shirt sales interest in those two. Like Juventus would make a killing, probably to the point where just in commercial deals and sponsorship alone, they would make a good tidy amount of money on it. So that's an interesting one is Juventus, but 
I think if it's for free, yes, you do sign him. Absolutely, hands down. Really? So if you're Solskjaer and you think you can get Messi on a free, you take him? Yep, I do. See, I mean, Go ahead, Frank, sorry. I was going to say, I think the other thing with with Sam saying, I mean, no matter how much you're paying for him, just the sheer amount you would get in in kit sales, I mean, as soon as he goes to another team, everyone is going to buy the new Messi kit. Like without a doubt. I mean, look at when Ronaldo went to Juventus. Everyone bought his his jersey. Do you know what yes, I mean? So I that mean, supposedly alone, supposedly Juventus made back the money they spent on Ronaldo. Yeah. In oh, I believe three, it. Two or three weeks in shirt sales, supposedly. I believe it. So I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is: Are you bringing in a thirty-three-year-old to play for another what two to three years and have to rearrange your team and potentially sideline any up-and-coming talent? you have which i understand like yeah he's absolutely amazing but you know maybe you have a mason greenwood that's ready to come up and now you got to push him back for two years that could then force him to want to go somewhere else because he feels like he's being unfairly treated and then you have a great player for two years but you've ruined all your development of your team and that's kind of what looks like what's happening at barcelona right i mean is that what we talked about that you know they're having issues now because they're trying to revolve around a 33 year old instead of making the team the best young team they can. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Look, if you're PSG or Juventus, and you can do this in a sense almost purely as a financial move, or just in the case of PSG too, maybe in the sense of just continuing to raise your profile, I would do it. Because you just take, I mean, I'm assuming, I mean, PSG are definitely going to win the French League next year. Juventus are favorites. They've obviously got challengers. I think you're not putting much at risk, and they don't seem to, as... Frank, as you touched on, they don't seem to have young players necessarily coming through in a position that Miss Messi would derail their progress. If I were United or City, part of my concern would be, do I want a 33-year-old Messi playing in the English Premier League? I, I don't know how well that goes. And then the second part, if, particularly if I'm United and you have this host of young, talented, attacking players, now maybe Messi comes in and they all really learn from him and it's incredible for their development. But the other risk is that it means that Greenwood or Rashford or even Martial don't play as much as they should have been playing. And their career basically gets, from a United perspective at least, ruined for the sake of having Messi for two seasons. Yeah, I think for me, I think City seems like the more obvious fit than United because I think United are on an upward curve right now with some of the younger talent they have. And maybe they can kind of keep building them and growing them in-house versus I feel like City, that's a place where you can kind of just take them, plop them in for two years, let them do his thing, two, three years, whatever, and then take them back out. And You're forgetting about Phil Foden though, right? Oh, Guardiola hails him as the most talented player he's ever coached. And he's waiting in the wings there at Manchester City to have his chance to sort of start pulling the strings in midfield. And if you bring Messi sure. in, not that they're necessarily... You can't, and they're not, it's not impossible to play them in the same side or that they're competing for identical positions. But it would probably be hard to have a, a Premier League team that has De Bruyne, Phil Foden, and Messi all playing at the same time. You're going to lack a little bit of, of defensive work going on there in, in central midfield. Didn't, didn't Juventus suffer a bit because they had like Dybala up front and now all of a sudden he's become a bit of a pariah since they signed Ronaldo and they had some changes because they... Well, in a way, shoehorned Ronaldo into their team. And I think with Messi, 
healthy, you do put him in the team. I, w- I will say this, though. If Man City do sign Messi and Guardiola does that, doesn't win the Champions League next season, I honestly say Guardiola gets fired. The, the, I don't the, think he would get fired because I think he would just leave. It would be one or the other. It would be either like, this is your gamble. We're going to pay for it. You've got one, you've got one shot. You've got, he's got a one-year contract for 700K or whatever it is. The team revolves around him for a year because... Just because Let basically. me spin it then too, right? Here's the other option. Here's the other way I'll put it. If you're messy, do you do it? Because right now, Messi, I think most people probably in the Messi versus Ronaldo debate, most people probably choose Messi as the better true footballer. Maybe that Ronaldo has worked harder to drag his talents to a level, sort of, you know, surpass what was his, the expectations of how good he could be and maintain that. You know, and he's also gone to different clubs and played very drastically different roles at almost each one of those clubs. So there's that argument about the work ethic and the adaptability of Ronaldo being far higher. But in terms of pure footballing ability, most people say, well, Messi is the better footballer. But the one doubt that a lot of people have always said is, yeah, but if he went to England, he'd just be kicked off the park and he wouldn't be able to do it. If you're Messi, do you run the risk of going to the Premier League and not, he's not going to be a flop, right? But maybe being a little bit exposed, particularly at the age of 33, and then having all those people say, look, we were always right. He's not as good as you all thought he was. He just gets to play against these Spanish teams that back off him and give him two miles of space when he's on the ball. So, of course, he looks good. It's the classic, can he do it on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke, right? That classic saying. And uh, my favorite... It's brilliant. It, it, but the, so many players have been defined by that problem. It's like, it's all well and good doing it in continental Europe where the tempo is a lot slower. But you know, if you're going to have someone steaming at you, like someone like Lionel Messi, where truth be told, he's just not going to have the ability to run at defenses the way he does in Spain. I take the point, but I, I would still do it. I still think you're intact. I, I still think whatever you do is intact. And if you perform anywhere near the level that you have in La Liga, that you do in the Premier League, I think if anything, it's enhanced. I, I, I personally think that you only need to be in the Premier League for two years, and then you could go to Argentina or China or the MLS or wherever it needs to be, because that's another interesting thing. The reason he might go to Man City is because then he would immediately go to New York, uh, the what is it like a I don't know what they call it like a sister club so basically the, boy, the, the Frank Lampard retirement method yes and uh, like that would be for me if I was Lionel Messi I'd think that's the best option because I might get a two-year contract in the Premier League if it doesn't work out I get two years in the MLS so I'm guaranteeing as a 33 year old four more years of football and I think I think that's probably I can only personally see, I think the Juventus is more of a gimmicky thing, but I can only see him going to Man City. Uh, but I do think, A, if I was Messi, I would make that move. But I do think that if Man City do make that or take that plunge, so many things would change if it didn't work out. And so, Okay, so then I'll, I'll, I'll change it. And one final question, I guess, about it. End of the transfer window, where do you think he'll be playing? Barcelona. So, I'm gonna can I can I say not Barcelona? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm I'm gonna say not Barcelona. I I feel like it's pretty. And if it's not Barcelona, fine. where do you think they'll likely land? I'm gonna go Man City. <laughs> okay, it's I'm gonna say Barcelona. I think he stays. I just think so. My question: of, If, yeah, if he on. gets put into City, 
what's the lineup look like then? Well, I guess, you know, obviously David Silva's gone. I guess this is this would part of this would be the kind of writing on the wall probably for Aguero. Yes. At least as a in in a starting capacity, right? That he's he's now a super sub squad squad player. How they fit that in with their midfield, it's a little bit difficult to balance in a way because you either have to I mean you assume that means that they're going to have to play I guess they're playing Messi in behind someone. So I guess in behind Gabriel Jesus. And then you have to then also assume that Sterling is out wide with someone else on the other wing. And then Kevin De Bruyne obviously has to play. And then this becomes the issue that if you're trying to bring Phil Foden through, and if he is as talented as everyone says he is, and as he looks at the times when he has the opportunity to play, there's no spot for Phil Foden. Because unless you were just very confident, it would be very difficult to have the player then playing alongside Kevin De Bruyne be Phil Foden. So it's probably Fernandinho or uh, you know one of their other defensive midfield options that they have. So when's the window over? Transfer window? Oh, a while. October like s- October eighth or something like that. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a long period of time. But even the Barcelona um, chairman who or owner, but I know president. That's the one. Um, he apparently came out today and a lot of people say when Messi has his differences with the board, they mean him. Uh, what's he called? Like uh, Bartomeu or Bartomeu or something like that. Apparently he's now come out and said he'll quit if Messi stays. So basically what he's saying is like the, the one obstacle he has with the board is me. So I will quit if we can keep him staying. But apparently a lot of people are saying it's a bluff because he isn't going to leave because he knows Messi's leaving. So he's almost trying to make it look like he's doing everything he can. Um, read into it what you will, but you know it's it's interesting that a guy has that much power that the, the, the fundamental board will shake themselves up to keep them. Yeah, I think it just comes down to whether he can still transfer for free or not. I mean, I think that's going to be a huge yeah part of this piece. They're saying something like 170 million. I think Barcelona, they would want something similar to the Neymar transfer if a fee is needed. If obviously it works out, I don't know, through court or whatever happens that he can leave for free, then it's just massive wages and agent sign on fees, et cetera. And it's going to look great, right? In the context of um, professional football and, you know, like football clubs having furloughed a lot of employees during the pandemic it's going to look great for them to go and splash 170 million on Messi plus 500,000 pounds a week in wages or whatever it is he's on. That's going to look great, but you couldn't pay the 12 pounds an hour to the guys who sweep your stadiums up because you're not having matches. All right, boys. So I think. Well, I would just, it was one final topic just because we do occasionally touch on cricket slightly. I guess it's just worth acknowledging, acknowledging the fact that Jimmy Anderson took his 600th test match wicket. uh, in the draw with Pakistan, the third test, meaning that he is the first fast bowler to ever reach the 600 tally, which is it's a pretty significant achievement, not only just to get to 600 test match wickets as a fast bowler, but to play the number of test matches you need to play as a fast bowler to stay fit for that length of time. That in and of itself is an achievement. Even if you weren't good enough to take the 600, just consistently playing for you know, 15 years is, is no mean feat. So yeah. what's the record for most wickets? Well, Matthias Merlothrin has something like 
700 and in the upper 700s, I believe. Wow. Yeah. But obviously not a fast bowler. No. And then it's shame one, isn't it, right? And then you would go down to... I mean, the thing that's impressive for Jimmy Anderson as well is that he... Um, Sorry, he just actually... to correct it. Matai Malarithran has 800 test match wickets. Then next is Shane Warne on 708. Then wow. Anil Kumble on 619. And then James Anderson is now fourth. On, well, I think he was already fourth, but he is fourth on 600. Yeah, it's just so impressive because also he he when he when he started like bursting onto the scene with the England setup, he was also a massive ODI player as well. So he has been fast bowling constantly in all formats. I don't even think T Twenty was a thing when he started out. Um, so and it's it's, it's it, impressive. It might be his final Test match, right? Because part of the issue is they don't know when they'll play Test match cricket again yeah. because England, the England players are not sure that over the over the winter that they'll be touring anywhere. So there's a good possibility that there won't be test match cricket played by England, at least until next spring, in which case I believe Jimmy Anderson's 38 now. So you're talking about him, I guess he'll be 39 or approaching 39. Do you have a 39-year-old playing test match cricket? At what point do you move on? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the camp that now is probably the suitable time to move on. Um, but, you know, it's always hard, but I think it's one of those things. The Bill Belichick camp of you'd rather get rid of them one year too early than one year too late. And Jimmy Anderson probably timed for him to walk away. I think he came out today and said that he would do everything in his power to try and be available for the next Ashes test. But even obviously what he means is I would love to play and I'd love to keep playing as long as I can. But I, I guess he's also Ashes. given, yeah, he's also given himself that months out. From now, isn't it? That's 18 months from now. Yeah. I mean, clearly he feels comfortable enough to be like, I can keep bowling. I've got no problem. But simultaneously, when you say like, I'd love to keep myself available, it's almost like, well, I also appreciate that there are other bowlers that England are going to have to bleed in at some point. And yes. um, that's, I guess that's how I read that statement is it's kind of him saying, I'd love to play. If you want me to play, I'll play. But simultaneously, if you've got other people. It's also, through. I think in a way too, the way his testament, the way, and not to make the decision for him, obviously, but the way his career will have ended, which was, <laughs> he obviously had the frustration of the drops in that test match. And he went into the full Jimmy Anderson grumpy mode where he just looked like he wanted to be anywhere other than out bowling. And that transformation from having burst onto the scene as this young, energetic, fast bowler who could just swing the ball a, mi a million miles basically and had the sort of dyed hair and was for a moment sort of considered the David Beckham of cricket for in that 2003 World Cup. I think it was 2003 in South Africa. That, I mean, that was kind of the perception at the moment, right? Because that was peak David Beckham. And that was kind of when every other, whoever you were, the other sort of up and coming young player in any sport was sort of being dubbed. You know, Johnny Wilkinson was kind yep. of the David Beckham of rugby, not because in terms of personality or anything, but just because, oh, David Beckham's good at free kicks and and Johnny Wilkinson's good at set pieces. And yeah. it was the kind of same idea. And then yeah. here was Jimmy Anderson, the David Beckham of cricket. And then as it turned out, he's just a very grumpy man who likes to play cricket and not communicate with people outside of that, really. No, you're right. It was actually during that kind of England phase where all of the sports were about that kind of almost like that pretty boy wag mentality. Like it was Sven Goran Eriksson's England team where it had all the people. And no, 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 you're, you're absolutely right with that. Although that being said, Jimmy Anderson has a very good podcast. And if he'd like to uh, make an appearance on ours, he's more than welcome to. Tell you what, super 
quick before we end the podcast uh arsenal or liverpool community shield sunday who are you going with I, I would say Liverpool, but it's so hard to tell because you just don't know how seriously that either side will take it and whether who's or not playing? they'll use it. What? Who's playing? Like who's, like who's going to be playing? <laughs> you don't know. You, you don't really know. You don't know whether... They, it's a glorified preseason match, right? Particularly, yeah. this, particularly this year in the shortened preseason and, uh, you know, so, and with the Premier League starting the year, the week after, you're not going to... We're going to assume that they're not going to risk too much in terms of, but you don't. You then have to favor Liverpool because they undoubtedly have more strength and depth than Arsenal do. Yeah, and also Arsenal and Liverpool have made no marquee signings, whereas the champion, uh, whereas the Community Shield would usually be the opportunity to well, show off on. marquee signings. Liverpool signed that left back from Greece. What was it like, eleven million or something like? Which who is James the least Milner, marquee? Who James Milner screamed at his debut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the police yeah. officer that uh, yeah. they saw the police officer tackle Harry Maguire and they signed him up. Yeah, you call it a transfer fee, I call it bail. <laughs> but yeah, I go but, Liverpool as well. The squads haven't changed enough. Uh, I, I Liverpool are better than Arsenal, but um, yeah, yeah, I'll probably go Liverpool in it. Well, I think that um, leads us into for next week, we're going to do our Premier League preview. So everyone can kind of get ready to hear our thoughts on the upcoming Premier League season that starts in two weeks. And then we'll also drop a NFL preview for the big NFL start that starts the same weekend, the super weekend, we should start calling it, of Premier well, League I, and I, NFL. Yeah, and but just because there is one other event that will be starting next week, and so we can get one prediction in before it kicks off, but we can maybe give it a little bit more airtime next week. The U.S. Open starts hmm. next week. Who cool. is your pick? Who's your pick, Eddie? <laughs> My pick is uh, Tsitsipas. Speaking of Greeks, he's looking really good at the well, the Cincinnati Open being played in New York. Uh, but he looks really good, and um, I mean, obviously, Djokovic is the odds-on favorite, and you'd have to say that given the fact that a number of high-profile players are missing, it's a really great opportunity for Djokovic to win another U.S. Open. But, you know, I'm not going to pick the odds-on guy, and I'm, you know, sits past his fourth favorite, so it's not as he's, like, dug deep into the, you know, tennis list to, to find him. But I would I would say he looks like he, he might be putting it together. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is I haven't seen any tennis so far this year. I mean, they just came back, right? So, yeah, I mean, the only thing I will say is Zverev is 22 to 1. And I was I was on the Zverev boat from when he was burst onto the scene. I mean, before he even burst onto the scene. As Frank well, we call, him, we call him your child. He's yeah, like your I mean, son. I was, I was and he a constantly disappoints you. He's the most yeah. disappointing son you've never had. I was a big admirer of Zverev, but his his mental strength just seems to weaken by the day. This... It's not, it doesn't look like he spent the lockdown just focusing in on how to play tennis for two and a half hours. So he obviously lost to Murray in this Murray this week, which I guess isn't a surprise. He's actually, as it turns out, interesting statistic. He's gone to the Cincinnati Open six times, and he's never won a match. So there is yeah, wow, that that's going. impressive. It is impressive for a top ten player to have never won a match. What must he be doing in Cincinnati? I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, this time's in New York, right? But that was five times in Cincinnati. He is obviously, I mean, uh, was Harambe at the Cincinnati Zoo? <laughs> is that what that 
I was thinking more of a, a place that he can go to to get the best chicken wings he knows that also happens to be a strip club. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I haven't watched any yet, so. And the other, the other player I will is I'll, just I'll a, go little Djokovic. Bit, <laughs> a little bit more of an outsider tip to uh, another player who I routinely fall in and out of love with is uh, Milos Raonic, who is playing well this week. And, you you know, a big serve. The court seemed to be, you know, really reasonably suitable for a big server this, you know, because they're going to be playing in the same conditions that they're playing in now. They're quick. So I think uh, Round has just got, a, got himself a chance. Is um, Dominic theme playing? Yeah, what's the he Austrian? Is, he is playing. He, he is third favorite. He crashed out of the Cincinnati Open in straight sets. So that okay. wasn't a great look for him, but it's different. It's difficult to know sort of what form he was in going into the first ATV tournament back. Although he had been playing quite a bit of tennis because he kind of hosted a tournament in Austria during the lockdown or the towards the end of the lockdown. So he's at least been playing, but he he lost convincingly. So yeah, I always like choosing him. He's one of my favorites to peg on. Pretty consistent. All right. Well, until next week. See ya. There we go.